Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. I am Ian Haston. First things first, we wanted to start the podcast by sending our thoughts, our prayers, our well wishes to everybody across the state of Florida, across the Caribbean, affected by Hurricane Ian. Hopefully listening to this, watching this, wherever you are, might bring a little bit of joy, a little bit of uh, uh, solidarity in these trying times. We'll, we go through hurricane season together here in Florida, and we'll all do it together. Guys, it is still a game week, and the team got out of town uh Affected this week by Hurricane and did not train on Tuesday and Wednesday. We are recording this just after the press conference Thursday morning. And, and that in and of itself has been pushed back several times throughout the week because of Hurricane Ian. Uh, now, finally, in Toronto, the team was this morning and, and will be able to get their first training session of the week done, their only training session of the week done later this afternoon. So let's start there. I think that it, it, we, we need to understand when, you know, coming off an international break, there was so much uncertainty even then. You're riding momentum of a two-game winning streak, drama throughout both wins. You're feeling good about things. Now everything that has gone on with the international break, we'll get into that later in the show. But now with the hurricane, you're left in a little bit of influx as, as you're approaching this. How do you mentally compartmentalize this to maintain focus in what could wind up being a huge pivotal playoff ma match for the playoff race in your final road trip. Phil has challenged them with their road form. They came out against DC and proved a lot of the naysayers wrong on that one. How do you go about staying focused amidst all this turmoil and make sure that you take care of business here against Toronto on Friday night? I, it's tough. I mean, it's even a harder situation now with everything going on than it was beforehand when we had the Columbus to Chicago layover that, in that 10 games, and that's what we talked about last time on the pod and how they didn't necessarily bode well in that Chicago match after this extended time off, and now you have this this next extended period of time where, where they were off and they haven't been able to train. I believe Phil said today that they weren't able to train Tuesday or Wednesday um, and, and they finally got back onto the pitch Thursday, but they do have to leave for Toronto tonight to play tomorrow, tonight as in Thursday night. So, you know, it, it's tough. And I, I think the mentality of the players just has to be, look, we, we control everything right now. Um, Phil also mentioned that in a press conference, they're playing on Friday and that's a before every other team in the Eastern Conference and that they get to put the pressure on, and that's something to go about. If they really want to make the playoffs, they've got to put the pressure on. They have a chance to do that, playing at Friday night before anybody else and, and making sure, like, hey, look, we're going to get three points. You want to catch up? You need to get go You need to go get your three points. And I think that's just kind of how you have to think if you're if you're a player saying, look, this is, this is our time. We, we control everything. And I know Ariel Lasseter was someone who was talking about it a lot, saying they can't worry about anybody else. Well, now they don't even have to worry about anybody else because they've done enough to control their own destiny in the last three games. And I believe last week, too, I was saying on the pod that these next three games are, are – it's just reminding me of like a World Cup group stage. Like it's it's a three game tournament. You need to do the best you possibly can. You have Columbus on the other end, and you're not going to play them directly, but you're playing against their results directly, and that's kind of how you have to look at it. And uh, even for Atlanta and Charlotte, you just have to beat out a couple of teams and stay on top, and and you're in a playoff spot, whether it's seventh or sixth or even fifth place. That's still all an opportunity there on the table for you. Um, they just need to know that it's in their own hands, and that's the way you got to go about it. Yeah, I agree. I think um, these stretch of games are going to be super important for Inter Miami. I think, you know, the fifth, sixth spot in the East is um, kind of passed them by, and it's really a, a photo finish to, for the seventh spot between 
you know, you know, yeah, maybe teams like Charlotte, Atlanta, Columbus, you know, depending on how they win. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like Austin said, Miami just need to win a majority of their games. And um, yeah, it won't be easy, but two of them are at home. And this last away game against Toronto will be difficult because they do have a, <clears throat> excuse me, a good squad of attackers. And, you know, Insignia and Bernadeschi can hurt them. And um, but defensively, they are suspect. And we were talking about it before we started rolling, how Toronto gave up a handful of goals in, what, two games? What, 12 in, in two games, I think, or maybe less than that. But they've it's, given it's up a lot. It's four games for the past three. Yeah, it's four games for the past three. Yeah, they've, they've given up a lot of goals in the last couple of games, so that could help Miami in that regard. But Miami don't score a lot, but um, they'll, they'll be coming in uh, off, uh, you know, confidence off of that D.C. win and, and – you know, uh, the you know they want to make the playoffs, so they'll have extra motivation. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting set of games. I think this Toronto game could set the tone for how they do at home. But um, and these last two games at home are are probably the most important of the season against Orlando and Montreal. So, um, if they can get can get a result against Toronto, I think they'll be in good standings. Let's talk about that Toronto defense. You, you alluded to it, Alex. They've given up four goals th- in, in the past three games. All of those losses, all those becoming progressively worse. It was a 4-3 loss to Montreal at home at the beginning of the month. Then they traveled to Atlanta, lost 4-2 there. Then they traveled to Orlando where they got absolutely thrumped, like 4 nothing beat down uh, by the Lions in Exploria that, that really – uh, also didn't help into Miami because of the, the goal difference now with, with Orlando looks a lot wider um, than, than it did just a couple weeks ago. The the defense has not looked good. Austin, you had mentioned that they, ha- they have some center back issues. What are they going to be able to do there uh, in terms of injuries, in terms of suspensions? How, how are they going to be able to, to realize what's going on? Yeah, so it's looking like Chris Mavinga is still not going to be able to be fit to play. Uh, hasn't played since that September 4th game and um, that they had and has been down with an injury. They said his return should be in mid-October, uh, September 30th, which is tomorrow is not mid-October. And also with McNaughton, who has been pretty much their mainstay at center back, other than you know the rotating parts of Mavinga and Shane O'Neill, he's got a yellow card accumulation suspension. So... Who plays next to Shane O'Neill? I have honestly no idea. I've just scoured and looked to see what other center back they've had in the last two months, and those are the only three names that I could find right now. So they're going to be scratching for a center back. If you I'll can help me name. out with who, who that. Yeah, the, Doniel Henry is probably going to be the one. He's like that super sub defender where they need a late minute, last minute, like big, tall defender to, to hold off games. So it's most likely to be yeah. But I don't think you get any confidence there. Absolutely. I don't know if that partnership has even been deployed all year for Toronto, if you're, if you're thinking yeah. about O'Neal and him. So that's another thing to think about, too. Um, I think it's going to be really tough for Toronto at the back. We know what they have up front with those Italians. Um, but, I mean, the last time Miami played them, they're p- playing with half of a brand-new back line. Their center back pairing that was against Miami a couple weeks ago is, is not the same. They aren't there. They're not available. So it's going to be interesting to see what Bob Bradley puts out. Offensively, it's always it always comes down to the Italians, Alex, for them, and and the Italians have been so good at home. They, they've even you know scored eight goals in the, to go, combined in their short time uh, at BMO Field. 
they, they, you know, we saw what Insigne could do the first, you know, the home leg of this series with, with a moment of brilliance. Phil even alluded to all of the crosses that Bernadeschi got uh, against them in the first game. And yet you went away thinking, even giving up a goal to Insigne, even giving up the crosses to Bernadeschi, that they really handled them pretty well, I, at least I thought, and, and were, were able to manage it. Those two are always going to get theirs for a certain extent. Now you throw in a, a home form in which they improve. What what are the wrinkles? What could you learn from the last game that you can take with you to this one to try and at least mitigate what those two can do to hurt you? Well, uh, I know for one, they they cannot come out and what they did against the first, uh, DC the, in the first half. You know that four two 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 formation with uh, no wingers, and they tried to really overload the middle, but they looked terrible and. If they play that against Toronto, trying to go, you know, super attacking, they're gonna they're going to lose because it's just not defensively stable. So, uh, yeah, I do think that, um, you know, getting natural wingers on there, um, like Ariel Lasseter or an Emerson or Robert Taylor, will, will help. Um, I, I think maybe Campana could sit this one. Maybe Bryce Duke or uh, Neville decides to go with uh, Campana and Eagle up top, and then two natural wingers, and then Gregory and Jamata as the two holding midfielders. Sort of like Japan against the U.S. men's national team, just the two defensive midfielders and really fluid uh, front four. But, um, yeah, but they're going to have to, you know, be more defensively sound. And, and uh, we're, we'll touch on this later with DeAndre Yedlin possibly being out. That's going to make the task even more difficult, especially when Insignia lines up on that, that left-hand side where the right back usually plays and, yeah, if it's Harvey Neville, you know, that's throwing him into the deep end too quickly. If it's McVeigh, you know, that's probably a bit more doable and comfortable for him. So it really all depends um, on who starts and, and what the formation is. But um, I'm sure that um, um, Neville will, will get it correct. Austin, uh, Phil had said that, that DeAndre is 50-50 uh, to go Friday night against Toronto in a game that Really, if you watch the knock that he got against Saudi Arabia, it didn't look good. He started for the U.S. men's national team, I thought, playing fairly well for, for the time that he was on the pitch. Took a knee-to-knee and, and it was immediately subbed out. He did fly directly uh, from Spain to Toronto uh, or what left, left uh, and didn't come back to, to South Florida because of the hurricane, uh, as did Damian Lowe. So both of them are, were away from the team already in Toronto awaiting the team's arrival. In terms of, you know, having that that influx of, of uncertainty within the defensive line and going up against even, you know, you didn't deal with Jesus Jimenez last time, uh, w- which you can throw him into the mix now, too, that, that Toronto can throw your way. And I want to also talk about Mark Anthony Kay in just a sec, but hold off on that for a minute. W- with having those guys up top, with Insigne Jimenez, or whether it's Jimenez or Akinola or Bernadeschi up top, and you have that little uncertainty in, in the back line, is a guy like Harvey Neville, like, can you turn to him in a game like this? Or what are your other options? Phil had some interesting ones this morning. Yeah, who did he, he name-dropped uh, Christopher McVeigh at right back, uh, Victor Uyoa, who we have seen multiple times, and also Ryan Saylor along with Harvey Neville as a right-back option. And for me, if I'm thinking about those, those guys, those names, honestly – 
because I know I have Kieran Gibbs at left back, I'm probably throwing Chris McVay there because he's just been your mainstay. He's been all reliable, um, and, and if he could if he could do it on his on his right side, then that, that's what I would I would go ahead and trust. And I think honestly, if Yedlin's not going to play, um, then that's probably what I believe Phil Neville will do. Uh, but it was weird when when Phil was talking about Yedlin though, because at first he opened up with um, it's looking like he's going to be a sure doubt. Then he said 50-50 about 20 seconds later on. So I'm wondering if they're leaning towards, you know what, it's okay. Like, he's going to play from what we've heard. They said that when they get there tonight, uh, Thursday night that is, that the club physios will will assess him. Um, It looks like, for me, by the way, that was like an orange card at its finest, by the way. Like, that was a little bit more than a yellow, in my opinion. But that's a whole other thing. It was a friendly anyway. Um, For for me, I, I would say Yedlin, you know, He's a tough guy who, who puts in a, a ton of energy into every every move he makes on the pitch. And if he's not at, down and out for the count, I think he's going to push to play. Honestly, I, I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, I'm leaning towards that there's a, definitely like a 75% chance that he'll play, in my personal opinion. Um, and I know he was taking it off, but I think he was going to be taken off anyway. I, I think Joe Scally was actually warming up before the injury actually happened. Uh, so I don't know if that was as telling as it seemed to be. I, I think there's an opportunity there. But for me, I don't know if Harvey's ready for it right now. This is a huge opportunity against some world-class players in Bernadeschi um, and Insigne. And you saw a lot of the time Insigne in that first Toronto match was dropping in a lot, causing a lot of is- causing a lot of issues, switching sides, going back and forth. It's just extremely hard to read, especially for a young player like Harvey who doesn't have the experience yet. I would throw Chris McVeigh in there if Yedlin's not a go at the right and then throw Kieran Gibbs on the left and figure out a center-back pairing from there. But here's my thing is, yeah, like- is like, you you really you signed Harvey for this exact reason. Like this was the break glass and case. like this is why you brought Harvey in. Yeah. No? I would say yes, but right now you have better options than Harvey. I, like I think that putting Chris McVay at right back and Kieran Gibbs at left back is a better option right now than a Harvey. Now if Kieran Gibbs can't play to the speed that Toronto's playing at and he's getting beat a lot like Chris McVay was in that Toronto match as well, then okay, you switch Chris McVay back over to the left in the 60th or 45th minute and you and you put Harvey in and say, you know what, go do a job. That I'm okay with, but I think from the jump, that decision to play Harvey Neville there in his first MLS start could be extremely exploited and, and play right into Bob Bradley's hands away, uh, away from home. Yeah, and I think... Um... Um, that last point, I think if you do go with that, uh, McVay at right back, the center back pairing could be low in Mabika, which could work to their benefit considering, you know, Toronto likes to cross the ball in a lot and there's two tall center backs in the back line to, to, to kind of nod them away, so. And another thing worth noting is that Phil is was adamant in – I think it was a week or two ago about staying away from the five at the back. So I don't I think that that's even ask. an option yeah. either. Yeah. I was yeah. Just I, I don't think that that's an option. I think it's, yeah, you have to stay four at the back. And, and I think that he's going to do that. I could see, I honestly think if Yedlin doesn't go, it's going to be a back line of Gibbs, Lowe, Mabika, uh, and, and Chris McVay on the right. However, I have this little gut feeling that Yedlin is going to really want to play. Neither yeah. of you have okay. Sailor. I'm surprised that neither of you would have Sailor in there. No. I, I would say just just because well not at right back anyway honestly and Alex brought up a great a great 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 point of of Lowe and Mabika in terms of how much 
Toronto crossed the ball. Uh, I think they had seven corners in the match. Bernadeschi was putting in a lot more than just that as well from set pieces and from open play. So I think having Lowe and Babika there to, to you know be strong, tall center backs to get headed clearances, even if you start Drake Callender too, that's another presence inside of the box that can handle the ball really well. That's probably what you need to go with at the back. Alex, I wanted to talk about Mark Anthony K because he will be introduced into this game. Most likely we'll start. He didn't. He was injured uh, in, in the first outing against the, with these two teams uh, facing off against each other, and and we were you know sitting next to each other in the press box, very surprised that they had instituted a, a, a defensive game plan to take Jaden Nelson out. I think with the speed that him and Insigne posed, allowing Insigne to to really pinch in at, with Nelson going outside, they might try to replicate that in reverse with Bernadeschi. I guess I could I could see that happening with having K sort of make that diagonal run, keeping Bernadeschi out wide to get numbers into the box for him to make those crosses. How do you, how does that change the dynamic with much more of an on-the-ball player? Uh, not as much of a speed threat as Jaden Nelson is, but uh, um, still, you know, still can hurt you uh, in, in terms of that, but a lot more technical of a player, Mark Anthony K. Yeah, I think um, well, he'll be more composed on the ball compared to um, uh, Jaden Nelson um, last time. Um, maybe not as quick, but um, Anthony K is still a, a extraordinarily good player and can break lines and um, is that kind of central midfielder you want on, on your MLS team. So, um, yeah, Miami's going to have to be careful, and I think uh, he'll be able to progress the ball a bit more comfortably uh, compared to Nelson and, and get Antigny and, and Bernadeschi on the ball a lot more. So I, I do think that Miami could go again with that, you know, pressing the number eight approach, try to stymie that. So Insignia has to drop and kind of ruins everything uh, for the Toronto setup. So, um, yeah, it entirely depends on who starts in the back line because if it's, you know, Harvey Neville, I don't think it's, you know, feasible. But with Yedlin, he has enough speed to kind of recover and do that job. So, yeah, it just depends on the formational setup Miami comes out in and, and, and you know, uh, you know, see how they, they're able to cope with this. But uh, there's plenty of guys on the bench that can, you know, do a job in that regard. And I'm sure Neville will, will use um, all that to the best of his um, capacity. So, question, you're saying Mark Anthony K being in there is enough for – because in the second half of that first matchup between these two sides, Insigne dropped a lot to get on the ball. Is Mark Anthony K enough to relieve Insigne of that – responsibility to get himself on the ball is anthony k enough for for him to have a, just enough responsibility of just a fr- up front alone so here's how yeah, i think I that think the... so. yeah go ahead out hmm? yeah i think so i think uh mark anthony k he's extraordinarily good at uh progressive carrying and and and, and pass wise i'm looking at his stats now he's in the 67 percentile which is okay but still good enough he's really good in pressures tackles interceptions uh he can get the job done so um, yeah, I do think that is a bit of a, a threat in that regard. But, um, you know, um, yeah, it just depends on setup for Miami. If they have one guy man-marking him and, and you know, Insignia is forced to drive a bit deeper, that could work out in their favor. I almost think that they're going to go away from that. And I think that they'll throw K <laughs> on the right with Bernadeschi, and K will make the diagonal run across, keeping Bernadeschi out wide. So you think how Insigne dropped down – and then almost the overlap with Nelson last time, it'll almost look the same, but you won't have to require that inversion with Bernadeschi. He'll stay high, 
and K will just come through like that. So you almost have like parallel diagonal lines. I, I think that that presents a little bit of a more difficult challenge to specifically man mark. The way that you would naturally uh, go against that is to zonal mark. And I know in this day and age, especially after what we saw over 180 minutes with the U.S. men's national team, no one's really clamoring for zonal marking on this side of the pond right now. Um, so uh, it, it would, it would, it definitely presents challenges. It's different, uh, a different look that they're going to give you. The natural way to attack that is to, I guess, sort of create a, um, like a, a triangle with, you, you're going to have to ask Pozuelo almost to, to commit a little more defensively and to create that triangle with him and keep a straight line with Gregory and Mota. That way, no matter what, from either side, there's always someone who's going to pick up that run. And then, and then the other person is responsible for whoever comes out wide. So it's like what one person finds the runner, not not on ball, but whatever whoever's making that diagonal run, the, the person who that side is catches that, and then the other person is responsible for the spatial awareness around it. I think that that's really the only way you're going to be able to deal with something like that because they're going to try and attack you inside out. He's going to make that run to try and draw you with him and that will leave Bernadeschi free in miles and miles of space on the side to get really free crosses in. So that that's why use, losing a Yedlin, but especially why Kieran Gibbs will be so important, is keeping that width, keeping that pressure on that right-handed flank cross is going to be really key, I think. Yeah, that's another good shot, I think, um, as well. Um, yeah, that's a really good shot, I think. I don't know, it's just... It's hard to predict these things until the lineup actually happens. That's why, you know, previews and, and whatnot, they're they're just difficult because people get uh, players can get injured or, you know, coaches can come out in another formation. So we can all predict what they are going to do. But until we see uh, both teams starting 11, then we can make more definitive assessments on that, honestly. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree with your points. But um, I don't know. I think this Toronto team is a little bit wounded considering how – you know, their last couple of games have gone, and I think with Bob Bradley, I think it's just going to be about damage control and, and seeing who he needs for next season. So he's going to be playing players that um, maybe are on the cups, cusps, and, and he needs to see, you know, if you know if they're going to fit into what he's going to try to do next season or whatnot. So, But they're still going to come out uh, very strong. Final thing, just spatially for, for Inter-Miami, would you go with two strikers up top? with the potential of Campana and Higuain, or are they battling it out? I asked Campana about this earlier this morning. I'm wondering if you can only have one, and if if one, who are you going with? Because you sort of have to pick which is the hot hand. Is it Gonzalo, who's done it over the totality of like 10 games lately, or is it Campana, who just had two goals in the last one? Uh, which way do you go? Can you afford to go two strikers? I almost think you do, simply because you're gonna you're going up against a team that, is giving up four goals a game over the course of a month, and you need to score to get back to, to really make sure that you're in the playoffs. You control your own destiny. So if you score, you're in this. And and so that's why I, I think, like, keep it simple, stupid. Throw the two up top and, <laughs> and let them have at it. Yeah, I, I mean, somebody mentioned earlier fluid front four with, with two holding midfielders. Um, and I think if you're going to do that, I don't see how you so you sit either Campana or Higuain. Like I don't know how you make that decision. So I just think you don't make that decision, and you play a front four with them two, Pozuelo and your most favored winger right now, probably 
Robert Taylor, Ariel Lasseter. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, so for, it, I mean, it's going to be a tough decision. I think both of them are going to be, you know, chomping at the bit to try and score a goal. If, if you're Leonardo Campana, yes, I'm going to bring in the Ecuadorian bias. They went nil, nil and nil, nil back to back in their international break. And their, their strikers weren't posing any threat. Um, Estrada especially. So if, if I'm Campana and I asked him about it as well, like how, you know, balancing that, is it, also, is it as much as it's about Inter Miami making the playoffs? You want to get on the plane to Qatar, so that's obviously at the back of his mind too. He's going to want to score goals. Higuain is still trying to do more and more. It seems to, to keep on proving himself to this fan base and to the club that that he's a worthwhile member and, and that he's really putting an impact on this team. If you have to make the decision. I'm actually not going to make it. I don't know who I would choose, but I, I, I really think that you play. I, I really the think that you play both strikers. And, and just like lost over. I just, I could, I can't. I literally can't make the decision. I don't know what I would do, and I, I, I would play both and probably a Robert Taylor and Pozuelo all up there at the front and, and figure it out and how they'll gel. And if you need some speed, you've got Emerson and Lasseter to come on if you really need a goal, but. I think this might be a goal fest anyway, and if Miami can score a couple early ones, then it's not much to worry about. So, I don't, this game could go so many different ways that I'm getting a little nervous about it now. The more we talk about it, you're just lining up as a four-two-four. A four-two-four is that no. what we're thinking? Okay. I, well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Well, I mean, I mean I'm thinking. Pozuelo is going to naturally you know, convert himself to a, a central playmaker a hundred percent. It just depends on, can he take up the defensive responsibility on the left side to not isolate Kieran Gibbs? And if you're Robert Taylor, who's lined up on the right, can he take up the responsibility to cover up the makeshift right back that Phil Neville's going to have to put out onto the pitch if Yedlin's not there. And with that said, can Pozuelo have both responsibilities as you know, a central playmaker and somebody who needs to cover up the left side of the pitch. I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's possible, but I think again, when you look at the score lines of this, of these Toronto games that have happened in the last couple of weeks, they've given up a lot of goals and they've scored a lot of goals. And if you're going to play into their own hands, try and score more than them. I know Ian, you've been screaming that for three years now with this club, fight, 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 score goals, score goals, score goals, and you know, play (laughs) for the five fives. It, I mean, I don't. I just don't know how else to to go about this game. This is why I'm not a manager in MLS right now. Yeah, Alex, prove I, us wrong. I, yeah, what 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 are you doing? I would start both of them, but Iguain is going to need to track back and defend. Really, that's that's literally. I know he's a great goal scorer, but he can be such a liability on defense sometimes if he's not caring enough to track back. So I just play a four-two-three-one with Iguain as a and, but he's really just the second striker alongside Campana. Lasseter on the um, actually, you know, I, I don't know. Lasseter on the left flank, maybe Pozuelo on the right, tucking in with an overlapping from Yedlin if he starts. I don't know. There's plenty of ways they can go, but if it were me, I would just stick with the four-three-three bench Iguain or Campana, play with wingers. Keep wow. it simple, really. Wait, 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 wait. But if you're gonna do that, you have to pick one. I want to know who. I want to know who you would pick to start the match. Um, Campana, and then bring Iguain on later. I know I he's actually, informed, I, but... I like that. Yeah, I like that because Iguain is is known to do it late, right? Like he he comes in and he's efficient. Yeah, in, yeah. in those in the. What's that style? I, I agree. score most of their goals uh, after the 85th minute or something. I I think your four two three one idea is probably what he goes with though. 
if, if I was guessing, yeah. that I would say Pozuelo on the right, Blaster on the left. It makes the most sense to me. Austin, to your point there with, with my goals, goals, goals theory, it actually comes from Ray Hudson when I was a kid. I had a, a, a camp with him. <laughs> And he told me that soccer is the only sport where when the ball's kicked off, you have the potential to tie, but soccer is the only sport when the ball's kicked off, it, you have you have to pick a mentality. If I don't give up a goal, I can't, I can't lose. If I don't score, I can't win. And every single player that kicks the ball off comes with a certain mentality, and that dictates which side of the ball you should be on. And I was a striker, so there you go. So thank wow. you, Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a little bit of uh, wisdom there. Yeah, I like it. That, that's where that comes from. Okay, let's talk playoffs because Toronto is officially eliminated from the playoffs, as is D.C., as is Chicago. New England basically on the cusp here. Charlotte, Atlanta holding on by a thread. They can Charlotte can still get up to 47, Atlanta up to 46. So barely still in this, but they can be in it. Into Miami tied on points with the Columbus crew, three points behind Orlando, and now four points behind uh, Cincinnati, but Cincinnati on 32 games played. They did get that draw at Seattle, which Phil had said earlier this morning that basically in his eyes that puts them in that, that, that 46 should be enough for them, especially closing out the year with Chicago and D.C. You'd think that if they get at least a one point, two points in that, they probably are over the finish line there. So when you're handicapping this, it really is Orlando, Miami, and Columbus. Three teams for two spots. Guys, looking at it right now, it would look as though Orlando is the favorite in terms of points, but has the most difficult road. They have uh, they have New York City uh, this, this coming week, this coming weekend. And then they finish against the two direct rivals. Austin, you mentioned that it's almost like a World Cup group stage. It will be for them going on the road to enter Miami and then hosting crew on decision day. For the crew, a little more straightforward. They have that Orlando game to finish the year. This weekend, they'll be at home in their final home game of the year against New York Red Bulls. And then midweek, they travel to Charlotte, a very formidable Charlotte home team uh, up there with Inter-Miami. one of the best home records, especially in the Eastern Conference. And then we all know for Inter-Miami, it's simple. At Toronto, home to Orlando, home to Montreal on decision day, finishing the week out strong with two home games. So, guys, looking at that right now, if you had to guess uh, one team on the outside looking in with three games to play, who's your odds-on favorite there? And who's your odds-on favorite for the sixth seed? We'll start with the, the one on the way out. With you, Alex, who do you have as those three teams being left out of the party in the end? Uh, well, New England. Um, I don't think, though, some of those losses they suffered late. Um, yeah, I think that's... I'm talking just in terms of Fair Columbus, up. Miami, and Orlando. Ah, um, I think Columbus will miss out. I don't know. I, I think uh, their form, it, you know... They have, they have the tendency to give up goals late and, you know, uh, against Port, the Portland Timbers uh, a couple of days ago, a week ago. I don't know how long it was, but they gave up a super late goal in the 95th, and 95th plus minute in like five minutes of stoppage time. And, you know, if they would have won that game, it would hurt. It would have hurt Miami, but, you know, Timbers managed to, to crawl back and, and get one. And, yeah, and it, 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 it hurt them, you know. If they would have won that, that would have um, – pushed them uh, up into the places a bit more and secured their spot, but they, they continue to slip points. And 
and their upcoming matches, they don't look too good. They have the Red Bulls at home. And, you know, that you only know how good the Rebels can be. Charlotte and Orlando um, away for them. Uh, Charlotte's good at home. And, and Orlando, uh, of course, they'll, they'll be looking to get a result as well. So, um, yeah, I, their schedule looks a little iffy for them. Um, so I, I think Columbus will be the, the one team, um, you know, missing out. I think another good reason why Columbus could be the team to miss out, because if, if any of these teams tie on points – Columbus only have nine wins right now with three games to go. Um, if, if they're to win any games to move up and they tie on points with Orlando or into Miami, they're obviously winning games as well. There's no way Columbus would get up to that that category. That would be the tiebreaker in terms of in terms of overall wins. So that's another reason why I think Columbus could be the team that misses out. Um, I know Alex said New England as well. I don't think Charlotte or Atlanta catch up in all honesty. I think Phil Neville said something about Atlanta today. Uh, even Columbus being that good at home, I think they're just too far behind. I do think, and I fully agree with Columbus missing out, they, they've dropped a lot of results. They struggle to win games. They give up goals late. Um, and I think that they have a very tough schedule in that game against Orlando to end the season is probably going to be the haunting one for them. So here's where I'm going to play devil's advocate. Every time I believed in the New York Red Bulls in a big game that matters for the playoffs, they've found a way to lose. Just every single time, seemingly. And and if Columbus is able to pull off this win, let's say get a draw um, against Charlotte, all of a sudden they're at 46 heading into decision day. That puts a lot of pressure on Inter-Miami and a lot of pressure on Orlando, who could... You know, at New York City is no joke. So if they drop that, and then if they drop the Inter-Miami game, they could possibly need a win at home on decision day. And and that, or Orlando having such a difficult schedule, I don't, I, I, it would surprise me if they can't get two points in these three games in order to do it. But it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. If I was them, I would be feeling pretty like uneasy, I would be happy that I have that three-point cushion because if I didn't have that, I'd be really nervous. With the, they have the, by far the toughest stretch of anybody remaining uh, throughout it, especially uh, considering Montreal on decision day or just yeah, Montreal on decision day is knows that they're going to be playing a midweek game, knows that they're going to be the two seed, and and so because of that, has absolutely zero incentive to try in that at all. There is, there's no reason for Montreal to play any player that they expect to play in the first round of the playoffs. And that that's why I, I, I give that even more credence to Miami. There's there's possibility for them to, to jump Philadelphia? No, I don't think it's going to happen. Such but a, It's such a long shot. They'd need to make up five points in two games. They're at 59. Yeah, so if Philadelphia, if Philadelphia dropped two <laughs> and Montreal win two, it's there. Because, I mean, goal differential is never going to happen. You've got 36 goals there. But they have got that, they've got the same amount of wins. So technically that's still there. And if Philadelphia lose those two games, or lose that one game, I'd say, and you go into decision day, Montreal has something to play for if Philadelphia are to lose against Charlotte, who is at home, I believe, in that game. Um, I think that Charlotte's at home. So that's... Which is I don't know reason I think for Philadelphia to have one of their stereotypical Philadelphia six seven nothing games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that could happen. That could happen. <laughs> yeah, guys, that, that could happen. <laughs> guys, before we go, I want I wanted to talk about the international break in the U.S. men's national team and, and their performance uh, uh, or lack thereof. 
a a two nil loss to Japan in what was I, I got to admit one of the uh, most disappointing into the most disappointing U.S. men's national team games I've seen in a while, simply because of what you're trying to get out of it and and how little you did. Um, obviously a meaningless friendly, but you follow it up with another lifeless nil nil draw against Saudi Arabia. Uh, no team has ever gotten just one point from those last two games and gone on to make a deep run in the World Cup all the way to the final. I don't know. I don't think anybody is thinking the U.S. men's national team is going to the final of the World Cup here. But uh, it really was, for for all the uh, problems that England has had, for all of the, the ups and downs that Wales had, and for all of the, I don't know, lack of confidence you have in Iran, you really felt, at least heading into this window, that, okay, well, U.S., they might not be the favorites to win the group, but they should at least have a, a little, maybe a slight favorite to get out of the group. Given the way that they play, I, I would find that not true at all, uh, given given how this looks right now and and a stubbornness of, of Greg Burhalter, the likes of which I, I, I really have a tough time believing. Yeah, I'll let Alex touch a ton on this because of – her close ties to it right now uh, with her new opportunity, of course. Congratulations, by the way. Um, I, I, I think watching those two games, first of all, I have to say that as an Ecuadorian American, seeing zero goals scored in four games was excruciating um, because none of them, none of my country scored at all in the in the four games. It was awful. Um, but w- with the U.S. men's, it, it was. Um, I don't know if it was a lack of purpose in their passing or it was um it was just you saw that they controlled the ball but did nothing with the ball and the defensive instability at the back the partnership between Zimmerman and Long I think Zimmerman without Long is much better so that's something I think needs to be addressed um do you play Serginho Dest on the left or on the right is Anthony Robinson going to be healthy enough to go into the World Cup and start there's so many questions right now, and with he them is, not he is scoring back in goals, training, and... though. I, sorry to cut you off, but Anthony okay. Robinson is back in training for Fulham. Is expected to play, so yeah, he should be hopeful. That's that's good. I think that they're really going to need that because that'll insert some stability to the back line, um, at least going into November twenty third. I think they play their first game. Um, I, I just think there's too many questions right now to be asked, and you wanted to answer the, those questions in these two matches, and. If anything, you're left with more questions now than you were before this international break, and I think that that for me is the biggest problem. I think that looking at this two game, looking at these two games, if I'm Italy, or if I'm England, uh, Iran, or, or Wales, I'm saying I'm gonna you know employ a, a high press, and I'm gonna let also United States try and make passes because at some point they're just going to make an errant pass. They're going to lose the ball in a high press. They can't deal with the pressure. And we'll just take we'll just take over on turnovers and counter, and and that's how we'll win the game. And I think it's that simple right now for for opposing teams to the United States. Yeah, watching uh, those two games, it, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it feels like a lot of shoehorning in players to fit a, a a system that you know may not be to their best strengths. Maybe instead of playing out of the back, they can just you know you know. Uh, I think Saudi the Saudi Arabia game was a good um, example of that, where Weston McKinney was just making these late uh, into the box runs and giving uh, the Saudi Arabians really you know big fits. You know sometimes US just needs to play ugly to win. You know you're at a World Cup. You know honestly system systematic like uh, formations and 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 systems 
for national teams don't make sense for club teams yes because you're 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 with them most of the time but for national teams there should be a set way of playing yeah but at the end of the day you know you just play to your players strengths you know look at the netherlands you know for so long they played in a 4-3-3 but you know uh, under their new coach which is i think von hall i have to double check but they're playing in a back three and you know it, it's not what the dutch are used to but you know it, it's working for them so um yeah i think the it's too late to to switch up you know the system that they're they've been playing but yeah i think i don't know they're just gonna have to wing it really uh you know even if the system doesn't work you know plan a go to plan c like you're like ferrari mid race where they're messing up the <laughs> The plans, <laughs> to, like plan our B. Secret, our secret yeah. F one group chat just got exposed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to switch to plan B because plan A, B, and C didn't work. So, um, you know, that's what the U.S. will probably have to do mid tournament. Just switch up their playing style because you know England. Let's be honest; they have talented players, probably more talented than um, the U.S. The U.S. right now. Uh, they'll be able even with their their problems aside, they'll be able to just play through the U.S. quite easily because they're just because of the talent that they have. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, they just need to figure out you know this World Cup aside by 2026, they need to figure it out because there's there's a lot well, of this is golden group of players here and you know you, this you was don't supposed wanna... to be it though, right? Like, but the, no, this was what I was saying. Them. This is what I was saying last week on the pod was that, you know, I was going crazy talking about a five at the back for the men's national team and playing to these players' strengths. And and they switched to it, but it, it you have to play to the players' strengths. That's what Burhalter is not doing. He, he's so stubborn about this system that he wants to play, playing a high line, controlling the ball. That, they, the players aren't fit to do that right now. That's not the way they should be playing. And I think that that's going to be the biggest mistake in Qatar for this team is – they're going to stick to the style that he's had that, yes, okay, in 2021, it won you a couple of CONCACAF titles, but for the most part, it's not going to translate on a on a global stage right now. Like, I don't think it's going to be positive, and I'm struggling to see how they manage results against a Wales and an Iran side who could just pressure them high, let them control, try and control the ball, and then... And, take over the game like it's it's so frustrating to me and that's why i was going on that ramp that that rampage last last week because there's so many good players on this team and talented players you just have to find a way to use them and right now i think he's not getting the best of all of his players and that's what you're supposed to do as a national team manager and i think that he's he's failing in that department I don't know if you guys saw with, uh, Iran versus Senegal, but Iran did a very good job of, of high-pressing Senegal, just like uh, Japan did to the United States. And Alex, to your point, you know, plan A, plan B, and plan C seem to be all the same plan for Greg Berhalter. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't seem to have a plan outside of his plan. And that's, you know, each person has their own, you know, put like... We're going to break the field into nines and each person has their, their quadrant of nine and, and they're responsible there. Once we get the ball, we're, we're going to rebalance our attack. We're not going to use, you know, off ball transitional play where if we happen to get a turnover in midfield, we, we quickly press. Nope. We're going to slow it down. We're going to rotate around. We're going to balance everybody back out again. And then we're going to play out the back. It's very, you know, uh, you remember, actually, a couple of years ago, Pep Guardiola got a lot of heat for Man City not getting for for this exact style of play of saying yeah. you are locking 
talented players into a box and saying, still be your special self within this very narrow parameter that I'm putting you into. And great managers are able to adjust, which is why you've seen him. Pep is, is one of the best, if not the best, be able to adjust within the confines of the system. Greg's trying to play the same game. He's just doing it poorly. We've got to call a spade, yeah. spade on that. And my other, my other thing, sorry, I, we haven't talked about this enough, so I'm just going to randomly throw it out there. Christian Pulisic drops way too deep way too often and completely takes himself out of place. Yeah, that's why, honestly, with their number nine issues, try playing him as a false nine. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. So play the 4-3-3, just make Pulisic the third midfielder because that, that third midfielder, whether it was Del Torre, whether it – I love Eunice Musa. Uh, Musa. Whether, whether it's Kevin yeah, Acosta yeah, against Saudi Arabia didn't do much. That third midfielder is never doing much in Greg's system. So make it Pulisic and get an extra attacker on the field because Pulisic is dropping deep. I, I think. As it is. Well, I think Musa's with I think with Musa, I think with Musa on the pitch, you, you would see that because Musa yeah. Musa on the ball is going to go forward and get past defender or yeah, get past defenders one on one. They didn't have somebody who, like Delatore had an awful game against Japan. Kellen Acosta is not that type of guy to do it against a side like Saudi Arabia. So I think that if you have Yunus Musa in there when he's healthy, we might have seen that. But unfortunately, we just didn't get to see him play. And that's why I said this team has been left with more questions now than they came into it with. And who's the backup to Musa if he's not going to be the third midfielder? Or what do you do if Adams or McKinney don't play? There's a lot to be asked to decide right now. We are less than two months away now, guys. Officially less than two months away. Less than eight weeks away from World Cup Qatar 2022. In the meantime, Inter-Miami has a huge weekend on the slate. For them, Friday night, they will play Toronto FC. That the only game of the evening. But just to give you a heads up on the other games that matter, Saturday at 1.30 is New England hosting Atlanta. At 5.30, Charlotte hosts Philadelphia. Then later on in the evening, at the same time, Columbus hosts Red Bulls and Cincinnati hosts Chicago. And then on Sunday, the big one will be New York City hosting Orlando. Uh, That game actually again at Red Bull Arena in New Jersey. It seems like forever since NYCFC have played at Yankee Stadium or or only like one or two games all summer they've they've played at home. Uh, but, But will be another big game. And a big chance if NYCFC can come out with a win, that just makes, you know, Wednesday's game, when we're talking, all that much important. Quick news and note, because I think I forgot before we head out of here, that Coco John is going to be fit, healthy, as is Breck Shea, who's been training. We just learned that uh, a little while ago, that Coco will be available. And Phil, I, I didn't want to forget with us not talking about this. Coco, Phil alluded to, not a lot of teams have seen a lot of him in that can be a little bit of a secret weapon. Do we agree, or is it a little too risky at this important stage of the year? No, that's fair. Yeah, I don't know, that's fair. If you need a goal late on and and you're struggling and results are not going your way, you got to throw an attacker out there. That's who I'm putting on. The fourth (laughs) highest rated player on Inter-Miami, according to the FIFA ratings, which was very surprising, Coco was. So (laughs) uh, definitely they're seeing some talent there. All right, guys, we'll get out of here. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Roblard. He is our producer, Andres. I am Ian Hess. Make sure you follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Like, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And please stay safe as we all recover back from the devastating 
Hurricane Ian. I hope you're all safe. I hope this was a, a, a nice break from it all, and I hope that uh, Inter-Miami can give another one this weekend and we can all build back uh, uh, better and, and happier and wonderful uh, through this uh, hurricane with all. That has been this week's Heron Outlet. Again, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, and we will see you back here next week.